The gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew's gospel, beginning in the third chapter at the first verse. And Matthew wrote these things. While Jesus was living in the Galilean hills, John, called the baptizer, was preaching in the desert country of Judea. His message was simple and austere, like his desert surroundings. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. John and his message were authorized by Isaiah's prophecy. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival, make the road smooth and straight. And John dressed in a camel hair habit tied at the waist by a leather strap. And he lived on a diet of locusts and wild field honey. And people poured out of Jerusalem, Judea, and the Jordanian countryside to hear and see him in action. And there at the Jordan River, those who came to confess their sins were baptized into a changed life. And when John realized that a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience, because it was becoming the popular thing to do, he exploded Brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think that you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a descendant of Abraham is neither here nor there. Descendants of Abraham, they're a dime a dozen. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. But the real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll pull out with the trash to be burned. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, heal those who feel hurt in their most intimate self, who feel rejected, misunderstood, or even misused. Show them your healing love and help them on the way to forgiveness and reconciliation. Lord, we'd like to claim that we're basically good people who are full of peaceful feelings for everyone. But give us honesty about ourselves and what we have made of the world. Give us the gift of repentance so that we might be forgiven that we might be saved. Amen. A number of years ago now, a 
couple traveled to the offices of an adoption society in England to receive a baby. They'd been on the waiting list for a long time. They'd been interviewed and carefully looked over. And now at last, their dreams were to be fulfilled. But their day of happiness was another's pain. Arriving at the offices of the society, they were ushered up a flight of stairs to a waiting room. And after a few minutes, they heard someone else climbing the stairs. It was the young student mother whose baby was to be adopted. And she was met by the lady responsible for the adoption arrangements and taken into another room. And our friends heard a muffled conversation. And a few minutes later, footsteps on the stairs as the young mother left. They heard her sobbing until the front door of the office was closed. And then there was silence. The lady in charge then conducted them next door. And in a little crib was a six-week-old baby boy. And on the chair beside it was a brown paper bag containing a change of clothes and two letters. One of these, addressed to the new parents, thanked them for providing a home for her baby and acknowledged that under the terms of the adoption, each would never know the other's identity. And then the young mother added one request. Would they allow her little son to read the other letter on his 18th birthday? She assured them that she had not included any information about her identity and the couple entrusted that letter to a lawyer. And one day the young man will read the message which his mother wrote on that day, when with a breaking heart, she parted with him. So this morning, I wonder just what she wrote. If you had to condense all that you feel about life and love into a few precious words. What would you say? I would think you'd have no time for trivia. I would think that you wouldn't be too concerned about economics or politics or the weather, the size of the house or the car. I would think that in such a letter, one might just deal with what one thinks life is all about and what things are absolutely essential. Now, John, you see, he was out in the desert in the great tradition of Hebrew prophets, and he was aware that time was running out he had no time for trivial matters. John the Baptist, you see, came preparing the way. And he candidly admitted he was not the way, but rather the preparer of the way. And that was what Isaiah told us to do when he wrote 
In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. But if we think about it today, it's not a real flattering image of where we live, is it? Wilderness? Desert? And yet, if you'll honestly examine this culture... Life in our inner cities, political rhetoric, pervasive violence that even entertains us. The billions spent on mind-numbing drugs and alcohol. I could but won't go on. Wilderness and desert don't seem to be such an overstatement of our present situation. And maybe that is just why John went into the wilderness to preach. You see, he called people out of the cities. He beckoned them to come out into the desert with him. And remember, please, that the desert had been the place where Israel had been called after Egyptian slavery in the Exodus. And the wilderness is where Israel had lost its way in the 40 years of wandering. And John calls Israel back into the wilderness to repent. A regathering of the scattered, despairing people. John knew it was time for him to climb out on a limb. To go all in. William Boggs wrote, and I quote, One hot Carolina afternoon on a visit home. My family and I were driving along when we passed an orchard of peaches that advertised especially low prices if we were only willing to pick them ourselves. And I doubt that any bargain would be sufficiently attractive to me now to lure me out of my air-conditioned car and into a steamy afternoon to pick peaches. But we were younger then, poorer then, and in less of a hurry than we tend to be these days. So we pulled over, paid our money, and selected a bushel basket to fill with fresh, ripe Spartanburg peaches. As we set off into the orchard, an old fellow, as wrinkled as a peach pit, and who was tending the place, said, Hey, if you want the best fruit, go deeper into the orchard. The peaches along the fringes, they're picked over, but deeper into the orchard, you'll find the best fruit. So we walked away far enough along that I figured we'd gone past the picked over sections. But just as we set the basket down, he hollered, go deeper, the best fruit's further on. So once more, we picked up the basket and walked along, finally deciding that surely we were now deep enough. But once more, as we prepared to pick the peaches, he hollered, go on, go deeper. And this time we went a substantially longer distance and discovered that indeed he was right. The finest, plumpest peaches were untouched and waiting for us. End quote. You see, Boggs got the best fruit when he went deeper into the orchard. And this morning, as we continue to search for Jesus in our Advent journey, I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb. The message is the same, go deeper, go further, 
to get the best fruit. So will you climb out on some limbs with me this Advent season? Maybe it's the limb of reconciliation. Is God calling you to inch your way out, to meet someone else with forgiveness and love? Maybe it's a limb of risk-taking. Is God calling you to take a risk for God's greater glory? Maybe it's a limb of service. Is God calling you to Christian service in a way that you have just been resisting? And maybe it's a limb of trust. Is God calling you to believe in someone? Maybe it's a limb of healing. Is God calling you to accept emotional and spiritual healing for some long, festering wounds? You know, John reminds us that Christ's coming requires some preparation. Here is a Savior who may take me just as I am, like we so love to sing. But I'm telling you, this Lord will not leave you just as you are. He demands change, turning, conversion. The way John dresses their clothes of repentance, he preaches out in the middle of the wilderness, far from the centers of prestige and power. In his whole person, John embodies the mourning for sin. That's the prelude for the deliverance of Israel. And Advent is the time to be honest. You know, we often complain that God seems so far away from us. Perhaps it's more accurate to say that we're far away from God. God's the truth, yet we live by deceit. God is light, yet we seem in so many countless ways to prefer darkness. How can people like us, living in the desert we call home, how can we ever hope to come back to God? Hear this this morning if you don't hear anything else. God has come back to us in the form of this wild-eyed prophet in the wilderness. God comes to us saying, I will forgive you. You can come home. And these things are the things that make for peace.